Hello and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners understand the wide variety of options they have after a career in consulting. Put a different way, you can think of this show as addressing the question, what can I do with my life after countless hours spent in PowerPoint and Excel? I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change. The goal is to put a story behind the role so our listeners can learn from our guests, both in terms of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Sergio Castajano to the studio. Sergio, thanks so much for joining today. Hey, hi, Ken. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. It's really a treat to have you on the show because we've known each other for quite a while now. And I guess maybe we could just kind of start off, Sergio, by you telling our listeners a little bit more about your background and maybe kind of how we got in touch. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I'm from the South, 5,000 miles South, actually I'm from Brazil. That's why my accent. And I'm a mechanic engineer by training. I started my career as an engineer. At some point, I decided to change gears, took my MBA from INSEAD in France. And after INSEAD, I went to McKinsey, where I worked six years. So that's my consulting time. After McKinsey, six years there, I left as an associate principal. And then after that, I took a number of roles in mining. So now I just started my company almost a year ago, M4E, Mining for Energy, where I'm trying to find a lithium mine. We can talk more about that during the show, but that's kind of my career in a nutshell. During my last executive position a couple of years ago, we needed some very strategic, with a lot of knowledge, some work done. And Ken and ECA helped us find, and it was like a perfect fit. It worked so well, and that really set the gears for a very important project that we had to start up some new operation in Mexico. Thanks, Sergio. So for our listeners, Sergio is being extremely humble. (laughs) He's now an entrepreneur, but extremely accomplished professional in the mining industry. So Sergio, we don't get too many folks that have gone from consulting to mining, especially in the US. But could you tell us a little bit more about M4E and what you're focused on? And then we can move to Aura and your role there. Sure. It almost happened by chance. When I was living in McKinsey, I was doing a lot of what they now call the transformation. So there was a lot of those large transformation programs. And there was this mining company, Anglo-American. I think they are the fourth largest in the world. And they needed to turn around, transform two of their business units before they could sell them. So as I left McKinsey, I joined one of those business units and it worked really well. And I ended up being CEO of that business. So that's how I got into mining and I've been working on that for the last 12 years. Now, M4E, it's a junior mining company. For folks not familiar, before a miner goes on and mine a mine, someone has to find it. And the business of finding a mine or finding a mineral deposit, it's called junior mining. And that's kind of a consolidating the industry. There are junior miners out there. I think Canada and Australia are the, the most prominent markets for that. And people look for gold, copper, you name the metal, people look for those deposits. What is new now is with the energy transition, There's a new bunch of commodities that were not needed and popular and they're growing exponentially. For instance, for mining for energy. Take lithium, for instance. There's not enough lithium to sustain all the energy transition. So no lithium, no batteries, no batteries, no electric cars, Teslas, etc. So M4E is a company that I founded and that we are basically investing in finding lithium deposits, mainly in Brazil. 
Excellent. Okay, so if you think about a junior mining company versus a operational mining company, and apologize my lack of industry vernacular, but if you think about it, a junior mining company, what are some of the challenges that you think you might encounter as you pursue the journey here? Yeah, so the main risk is always the geological risk, right? So you have to choose the right area. So when you go there and do the geology work, you actually find a mine. But the interesting thing is that when you look and you talk to people and you see why companies fail, there are a bunch of other reasons. So they couldn't attract the right people. They couldn't get investors to invest in, in their projects. They didn't plan properly and they spent all the resources, all the money they had, and they couldn't bring the company to the next step. So in a bunch of ways, it's like a startup. So the parallel with a startup is a very good one. I think those are really the main risks. Yeah, in many ways, similar startup, you're kind of racing against the clock, right? Because you have a finite amount of time and dollars to spend as it relates to the finding and discovery, if you will, right? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. You've got to do a little bit of everything in this phase. That's exciting. And we obviously wish you luck. And prior to that, and this is where we met, and this is probably where we can spend a bulk of our time. I think our listeners will really find this part interesting. So you led transformation as a chief transformation officer for Aura. Could you tell us that story? Because I think it's such a neat kind of success story in terms of kind of when you came in, what you did, and what happened to the company over the years. Sure, absolutely. So Aura is a mid-tier mining company. It has now operations in four countries. It's listed both in the Brazilian Stock Exchange and in the Toronto Stock Exchange. It must be close to a billion Canadian dollars market cap. I joined the company when the market cap was just south of 40 million Canadian. So it was like a huge transformation of from 40 to, to a billion. And the company had many issues, had all sorts of trouble, and it had just gone to a change of control. So the new controlling shareholder put a new CEO in place, and this new CEO put his team together. It was the second C-level executive hired by this new shareholder to run the entire transformation of the company. So there was uh, quite a journey, you know, a lot of time, a lot of energy, some difficulties, some interesting bats as well. Yeah, as I mentioned before, you guys played a, like a key role on that. I think the very first big challenge that we had there was to start the Mexican operation. Today is like the main asset of our, like the one who contributes the most for uh, to the EBITDA. And that was like an operation that we started from scratch. There was nothing there. And from hiring a, like a country manager to putting together the team to managing the startup of the project, ramping it up until full production. I think there must be around 600 people working on that operation all day. So there was really key. And um, you guys helped us a lot <laughs> putting some stuff that for consultants, it's simple, right? But to put some structure in the mess and the hectic days that we were living there, that was a blast, you know, and you guys brought us super talented consultant, ex-McKinsey, that was really, really critical for the success of that project. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you were overseeing various mines. Each of those mines had huge staffs. So you have to deal with everything from kind of hiring to managing those teams. You have to deal with kind of local laws in the various geographies that you're operating in. And in consulting, we get to manage two or three people that are most likely insecure overachievers. How do you kind of make the jump to being able to oversee that type of operation? Yeah. 
No, and I think that's a very good description, the insecure overachiever. I was there so many times, you know. I think you take some superpowers from the consulting base. You take for granted the capacity of seeing the whole, the capacity of synthesizing ideas and structuring things. That helps a lot because at the end of the day, you deal with complex problems and then the capacity of structuring them, that gives you an edge. And over the years, I've been working with many different professionals with strengths and weaknesses, but the strength of being able to do that, that's a huge one. So I think that's the main one, you know, you come up to a challenge like this and you, you know, what are the things that need to happen and then you go for it. I think that's very important. And I think the fact that even though the staff is huge, you know, you're talking about 600, 700 people, you end up working directly with a relatively smaller group of people, right? So in my case, I will be working with account managers. I will be working with some corporate people on finance, on strategy, on operations, on the technical side. Maybe you're restricted on your day-to-day, you're restricted to a group of, I don't know, maybe 10 people that you're really working on intensively. But obviously, you've got to see what's going on in the entire operation, in the entire company. But uh, it's not that you are working directly with 600 people, right? So that makes uh, things a little bit easier. Absolutely. I mean, 40 million to close to a billion in terms of evaluation. I mean, that's quite a journey. I'm sure you encountered all sorts of challenges and hurdles and bottlenecks on the way. I guess curious to hear from you, Sergio, what was the biggest challenge you encountered when you were kind of leading transformation at Aura? Yeah, look, that's a good question. I don't know, there were so many, but I think in the very beginning, we were facing make or break every time. We were like short in cash. We really needed uh, things to work out. But I like to talk about this Mexican project because there was really the cornerstone of it all. You know, the, the rest of our was kind of breaking even. And we had a loan. The loan was enough for part of the project. And the project had to start to operate and generate cash to self-complete itself. <laughs> so the focus on making sure that that operation started up and sold product and generated revenue. That was like the driving thing behind it all, you know. And at the same time, setting the basis for what we wanted to do out of the other operations, right? So I think at the same time that we had all the challenges there, we also had kind of the blessing of having an operation starting from scratch. So we could test there a bunch of things that we wanted to do in the other operations, like the type of people that we were hiring. You know, we were looking much more for talent than for experience. So we ended up having a, a like a younger team in the Mexican operation. We wanted to have some systems in place like PMOs and dashboards and visual management, you know, things that in other industries you take for granted. They, they're not like mining, not necessarily as sophisticated. So we put all those elements in that operation, you know, so that, that was kind of the big bet. And as it worked out super well, then we had the cash from that operation, the project was a success, and then we had a model to roll out to the other operations. So that was really kind of the start of it all. One of the things that I've always admired about you, Sergio, is seeing the silver lining of a situation. So I don't know if, if any of our listeners caught that, but Sergio just said the best part of the Mexican project was that they were blessed with starting from scratch. 
I think any other experienced miner would have probably viewed that more as a challenge than an opportunity. I think that says a lot about kind of why you've been so successful. Excellent. And I guess would love to just kind of like dive in a little bit to Anglo-America because you served in a CEO role there for a business unit, if I'm not mistaken, and transitioned from McKinsey to Anglo. So I guess would love to hear about kind of like how you got your start in mining and maybe some of the things you learned or observed and what you did for Anglo-American. Sure, absolutely. You know, there was also an interesting project. The background of the business that was happening there, there was like another big company that's all public information. So the Extrata, the Swiss mining company of Glencore, I think years later, they ended up merging with Glencore. So Extrata tried to, to buy Anglo-America. They made like a, a hostile, a tentative hostile takeover. And Anglo didn't want the, the takeover. So the way they defended themselves, they said, look, I understand what you guys are going to do. You guys are going to come here. You're going to cut some layers of the organization. You're going to streamline the business. So you know what? We're going to do that ourselves. So that's, that's where like, there was this plan of the streamlining Anglo-American. Anglo-American had... 10 business units, two of those business units were in Brazil, uh, phosphates and, and niobium. They said, okay, we're going to sell those like smaller businesses, be like smaller for a- Anglo standards, right? So I think one, uh, the phosphate business was worth probably like 1.5 billion and, and the niobium business was worth another billion dollars. So they said, we're going to streamline and sell those, those business units. So we will end up at the end of this process with only five business units. So I entered uh, Anglo to help streamline those two businesses that at the end of the day would be sold. You know, they were like smaller business units in a, in a big company. So they were kind of neglected. There were like a lot of opportunities there. I think, you know, that there was like a very typical transition from uh, consulting to industry. You know, you end up taking like, either take a strategy position or a transformation, you know, so in this case, in this, in this case was like the, the, the transformation thing. So we really, you know, analyzed the entire company, brainstormed and came up with a high level plan of what to do, what would be like the big projects to, to tackle. And then there was a lot of uh, focus on execution, you know, meeting, uh, weekly meetings, you know, steer calls and all of that to make sure that those projects moved. And at the same time, we were like preparing the strategic plan, how to expand those business, right? So what is the market that they are in? How do you expand? Uh, how do you grow those business? And uh, long story short, after a year doing that, you know, the, the businesses were performing way better, like way better. Like in uh, phosphates, I think we multiplied the EBITDA by three. In uh, Niobe, we multiplied by uh, almost two. At the end of the process, you know, other things happened to Extrata. The hostile takeover was not on the table anymore. Those businesses were looking way better. So at the end of the process, Angus looked at the business and said, you know what? I think uh, now we're going to keep them. So, and then they offered me to lead one of them, you know. So I, I led the, that Niobe business for another three years as the CEO. And then later on, it merged, you know, with another business unit. So that's, that's when I uh, ended, ended up leaving and starting another company. Sergio, one of my biggest observations with you as well as other guests that I've had on that have had a lot of success is their ability to effect change and execute. The folks that I talk to that have been truly, truly successful really kind of focus on execution piece. And it seems to me, at least, that in consulting, all we talk about is strategy. 
and strategy is very sexy, right? But to actually kind of affect change and execute is to me like the holy grail after consulting. Have you observed, uh, I guess, a similar kind of situation from after consulting in terms of kind of what you've seen? Absolutely, Ken. Uh, I love the question. <laughs> That's it, you know. Uh, and, you know, even when I look back to my consulting days, you know, the projects that you remember, the projects that you like, the projects that you're proud of uh, having done are the projects that were changed actually occurred, right? And some projects, you know, you work long hours, you do all of that, you know, very nice PowerPoint deck that no one use, you know. It's okay you did your job, but those are another projects that you're going to remember fondly, you know. So I totally agree with you, you know. The Holy Grail is making sure that transformation happen, you know. it's. Uh, I think it's a very unique set of uh, uh, circumstances that need to be present. And you need to, like, obviously organize the, the, the organization to, to move and and you need a story, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about, you know, if you take, if you take like those two examples that I just mentioned, you know, in the case of Aura, you know, it was the transformation of the maximum pressure was like do or die, you know, so everybody had that in mind, you know, we had like, we, we, I remember we had graphs of, of cash burn and everybody like all the management knew about it, you know, somehow we, we, we managed to to gear the, the entire organization towards that story. You know, obviously there's like the geology guy is doing something, the mine engineer guy is doing another thing, the quality guy, everybody like HR, everybody's involved on their own way, but everybody understands, you know, that big want, that big change that needs to happen. You know, what, what you need to accomplish, it has to be simple. The case of, of Anglo, you know, similar, you know, so the, the company is for sale. Someone is going to buy it. Someone's going to take it because someone wants either niobos or phosphates. The best thing we can do is have this operation running so smoothly that whoever takes it over will want to keep the team and keep the operation exactly as it is, you know. So that was like the big, the big thing. The guys are like Anglo is, is selling us because we're, we're small and we're not well run. No, 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 no. We're going to show that this is worth it, you know. So I think this is kind of a, kind of a topic of those large transformations, right? So somehow, you know, because of the, the way you organize and, and the circumstances, you manage to get the entire organization around like this big goal, this big want, you know, and then I think it's when magic happens. So let's break that down for a second, because that's interesting. You kind of explained change as it becoming the mission across the organization. Sergio, you're obviously very kind of empathetic and people-focused. I guess what else, from your perspective, is critical if you're driving major change initiatives, either within a business unit or just like at an entire company like Aura? No, look, I've been doing a lot of those transformations, right? I did that, I think, since the McKinsey days, you know, so... I think one thing is very important. It's okay. You have this big one, the big story. That's that's one important element. But then you you really need the mechanics, right? So, so if you think about larger uh, organizations, I remember back in my my McKinsey days, we do that in a white goods manufacturer, and we did that in many countries. We did that in Italy, in in India, in Brazil, in Mexico. You name it. So you you need you need a, like a specific governance, right? So you need to to break it down to specific projects. The projects they have to they cannot be too granular, otherwise you know you get swamped in details. But they cannot be too broad. So you have to find that 
fine line. I like the magic number of 15 projects. I think, you know, that's what a, an organization can handle, you know. So you, what are your 15 projects, right, that you've you got to take care of? And then you take each one of them and you put up a target, you put a goal, a financial goal, a KPI, milestones, and, and, and put governance on it, right? So like you meet every two weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, and put pace on it. Make sure that those projects are, are, are happening. You know, at the same time, you are, I think you are bringing the, the right people in, you know, always, you know, you need, you need to change some people, bring some, uh, some fresh blood in. And I think you have to have fun, you know. So when you have this this sense of team, you know, you you gotta have that, you know. So like we did a lot of that in both at the Anglo and the and the Mexican operation was like going out, having beer, having a good time, you know. So on a way very similar to the the the, the environment you have on, on on business school, right? The the play hard, work hard type of mentality. If you get that going, you know, then then you're then I think you're off to success. I like how you broke that down, like 15 projects, targets, goals, KPIs, and governance, and having fun. I think one of the things that I've observed that's very different if you think about kind of like a classic PMO in, in a corporate setting versus the situations that you just described, Sergio, is everything's very real. This isn't green, yellow, red for the sake of green, yellow, red on a PowerPoint slide, right? It is very real, and the meetings aren't just kind of there to fill people's calendars. They're there to kind of drive change, and I, and I think that's one of the things that to me at least makes things very different pre and post consulting from what I've seen. So thanks for sharing that. That kind of transitions us nicely to would love to just kind of get your general advice for our listeners if they are currently in consulting, thinking about maybe a career in either transformation or mining, or just any advice that you would have for them. Each one is different, right? And uh, so I think if you are to stay in consulting and that's your thing and you're going to do like, and I have so many friends at career that made it to senior partner, etc. you know, if you're going to stay in consulting for longer, you know, you should really think about maybe taking a, a, a one year of an executive position. You know, I know at McKinsey, they have that uh, third year out that they do for um business analysts before before business school. But I think even at more senior levels, you know, because uh, having an experience of working at a client or a company that could be a client of consulting, that's huge, you know, because when you are in consulting, you know, and we, we hear, we get trained, oh, don't be arrogant, don't be, do but it's different than when you experience it, right? Because it's it's so easy at consulting. The big difference is that you have time, you have one project, you know, you're taking care of one issue, you know, and, and the executives that are there, even, you know, the ones that are super smart, they have like a, an entire agenda to take care of, you know, there are all sorts of things going on in the company. So, and it's some, sometimes difficult for us to understand why they don't just do this, you know, it's so obvious. Why don't, why don't they do, you know, it's because it's, there's a bunch of other things, you know, there's a little bit of politics in the company yeah. that yeah. you have to take care of, you know, particularly when you are going up and you're C-level, et cetera, you know, you can't just do, go there and do stuff. You have to align first, you have to do all of that, et cetera. So I think, you know, if you're interested in consulting, I would say definitely try to have some executive experience, you know, and if you're thinking about transitioning, you know, if you're feeling it's the, 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 the right moment, do it, you know, because... I think it's so powerful, you know, when it, when you go out and, and you take the skills from your consulting days and then you learn like the new skills of being, of 
being as active, you know, the combination is, is so powerful. So I, I would say by all means. That's great advice, especially your point around getting a different perspective, because once you're in that different role of an executive, you definitely have an appreciation for the fact that this project is maybe one of 15 things, to, to use your project example, that matter for this particular executive. And it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that there might be other fires that are burning a little bit hotter at the moment. So. Great advice, Sergio. And I guess lastly, Sergio, we're always trying to build up our library of books. And it's okay if you don't have a suggestion, but we always ask every guest if there's any books that they would recommend to our listeners that have maybe made an impact on your life. Oh, thank you. That's a, that's an interesting question. I probably some of your guests already suggested that, but I recently read No Rules Rules, the story of Netflix and uh, the culture change, you know, that the and the reinvention of them over and over and over. And I love that book, you know, I think that's such a good read, you know, it, it, it basically explains how they went from being, you know, a subscription company sending uh, DVDs on your mailbox to becoming streaming. You know, I think even the name Netflix, they already knew they would be streaming at some point to being, I think, the largest Hollywood uh, producer, you know, so... Imagine the type of culture that they need to be able to go through all this change. And, you know, as the book, the title says, no rules, rules, you know. So there's a lot of leaving it to the individuals, common sense, etc. I really, I know Netflix been through some trouble lately, but, you know, the type of culture that they managed to, and we touched a little bit in, in, into culture in, in this conversation here, but, you know, the type of culture that they managed to create there, it's something really fabulous. I'm glad you suggested the book because no one has suggested it yet. And I'm personally a big fan of it. I love how they equate the company to a sports team as opposed to a family. I think it's just a much more kind of honest betrayal. I think a great way to think about it, right, is you can work hard and play hard, too, in that context. So. Totally agree. There's still competition, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Sergio, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, it's been great learning from you as well, and, and I'm sure our listeners would agree. And then I guess if anybody wanted to learn a little bit more about M4E, is there a website or somewhere where they could go or maybe your LinkedIn or anything like that? I would say just my LinkedIn at this moment. You know, I, uh, it's in my to-do list to put a website together, but you know, I've been dealing with funding the company. Now we're fully funded <laughs> You know, and uh, getting everything uh, ready, and I didn't do the website yet, so that's now we have like we have, we have a cfo now we have a technical advisor we have a, a project manager so now we're structured to the point that i think we will get a website but uh, i would say my linkedin for now well you're focused on what matters most right <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense well very good for those of you that are interested in hearing future episodes make sure you subscribe either on spotify or apple and if you want to hear past episodes, you can always go to beyondconsulting.info. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch with me, you can check out www.eca-partners.com. And until next week, we look forward to talking to everyone then. Thanks so much. 